Welcome to On The Stoop with Suave, the place where the best conversations with your favorite people happen. On this episode, Suave has Las Vegas club killer DJ icon on the stoop where they'll be discussing DJing, talent agencies, and much more. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, DJ Suave. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to On The Stoop with Suave. This week's special guest, you've seen him on Club Killers Tech Talk. Make some noise, y'all. For DJ Icon. Yo, yo, what's going on? What's happening? I like the applause. <laughs> you know, I, try to, I try to show love. Try to show love. How you doing, man? Good, 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 good. It's uh it's kind of early today for a DJ anyway. You should just ask Kid Conrad if he's <laughs> what is it? It's two in the afternoon. <laughs> oh man. Um before we get started, I want to go ahead and and find out where can the people find you and where can the people connect with you as they're watching this yeah so you can find me at uh www.djicon.net um my instagram is at uh djicon i'm not really on any any other social platforms um or you can um go to www.blackoutartist.com and that's icon with a k correct icon with a k yep okay one all right so that's the so now as y'all are listening and what listening along y'all know where to go Vegas. How long have you lived out here? Uh, 18 years. 18 years. Grew up in Lake Tahoe, then went to college in, uh, in Reno at UNR, and then moved out here when I was 24. What's UNR? Uh, University of Nevada, Reno. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. You know what? Uh, let's just get right into it. You know, All right, let's pe- do it. Pe- people want to hear it. <laughs> um, how, long, how long have you been DJing? Uh, 20 years. Yeah, started when I was 18. How'd you get started? Um, it's kind of funny. So... When I lived in Tahoe, we used to go to all these um, like ski and like snowboard competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when we go there, there'd always be these like DJ battles or these underground DJs. And and when I was like 15 or 16, I was like, oh man, I want to do that. Like I was super big in underground hip hop, and I was like, man, that's like that's what I want to do. But we didn't have any record stores where I grew up. I had no access to like turntables, or I mean, the very first time I ever touched a turntable was. I grabbed my dad's and set it up, and I broke it. Like, he came home, and he was so mad. Um, but then when I was 18, I graduated college or high school, went down to Reno, and my very first job down there was at this retail place called Planet DJ. Okay. And it was, like, owned and operated by these battle DJs, and I was like, oh, this is, like, my dream job, right? So I just got a job working in their warehouse, and, and uh, yeah, like, that's how that's kind of how I got started. Okay, okay, okay. Um, what was your first setup? So I went and I bought a pair of these purple Gemini like belt drive turntables. And at the time, like I didn't know any better, right? I was like, yeah, this this is awesome. And then I got a Newmark like eight channel mixer, the one that had the little like sampler thing on it uh-huh. at a pawn shop for like, I don't know, 50 bucks. And yeah, I'm like a broke college kid. Yeah. So I went and like, I set it up and, and at this point, the only reference to DJing I had were like battle videos that I bought, like the DMC videos and then stuff that I had seen at, um, at like these like ski competitions and whatnot. So, you know, I'm, I wish I had a video of me because I'm in there with like these belt drive things and they're just bouncing around and the mixer like at the time didn't work, but I didn't know it didn't work. So like I'm in there and like the crossfader doesn't really work, but I didn't know that. And so I'm in there like 
trying to do these things, and it must have been so funny. Wait, they sold you a broke mixer at the pawn shop? Yeah, I didn't even worry. I ended, up, I ended up, once I got the job at Planet DJ, I took it in there, and I was like, guys, you know. And then all these battle, like, real battle DJs, like, um, they were, like, kind of laughing. But it was all part of it, you know? Like, they were like, man, like, you know, this, is, this isn't what you need. And then I got set up right. But, yeah, I ended up having to take it back. And then, um, you know, come to find out, like, these Gemini tables, like, you couldn't even look at these things without the record bouncing. Like, they were so terrible. Yeah. But, you know, it's all part of it. You know, yeah. live and learn. The, the learning curve. Yeah, yeah. So you get the job. You get you some some equipment. Yep. What happens then? So then I really wanted to be a battle DJ. Like, that was that was my thing. So for, like, a year, I just, like, was just like a sponge, right? I would just, like, go to work, and these guys would always be, like, cutting and stuff, like, on their breaks. And, and I just kind of, like, really, like, immersed myself in, in that and bought every video I could, watched, you know, hours and hours and hours of like dmc and itf and all these like you know different videos and i really wanted to to do that but come to find out i'm terrible at it so after like a year i entered a dj battle and i just got smoked like it was so embarrassing but at the time you know i didn't know any better and so i was like yeah totally ready to do this and like i was so excited and then i just went and saw some like real battle djs and then i was like uh, but at the time I was still like really into it. That's still really what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like the evolution of that was while I was in college, you know, started asking to got asked to do some like house parties and that kind of thing. So started doing that. And then, uh, one of my friends worked for a frat and he was like, Hey, come DJ our frat party. So I did that. And then, um, I just kind of kept like growing my reputation a little bit in Reno. And then, um, the very first nightclub gig I ever did was um, this guy, EJ, who was kind of the like, he was like the biggest DJ in Reno. He contacted me and was like, hey, man, come out. I want to see you play. I've been hearing about you, whatever. So, you know, I showed up to, to this nightclub and I was so excited and he puts me on and I literally played every big song. Like I mixed as quick as I could for like 10 minutes and he like runs up and he's like what are you doing he like kicks me off and i was like and i just didn't understand right like i wasn't even 21 yet hadn't even been to a nightclub so um we ended up becoming like really good friends and and he like gave me my first like nightclub kind of residency thing and and yeah i just kind of went from there yeah so grand aspirations of being a battle dj but (laughs) (laughs) so how'd you end up in vegas so while um, while I was working in Reno, um, we started like the club I worked at with EJ. EJ tr- went from like DJ to promoter, um, and then he started booking some Vegas DJs. So the very first guy that we ever brought up was DJ Hollywood. Um, so we brought him up to Reno, and then we just developed this like really good relationship. Um, my very first trip ever out to Vegas, I went came and stayed with him, and that was why when Rain opened up at the Palms, like um, you know. 15 years ago, whatever. So came to Vegas, you know, staying at his house. We went to rain and I was like, oh my God, this is, it like blew my mind, right? Like coming from Reno, we had nothing. It was fire shooting from the ceiling and like, (laughs) this place is huge. And, you know, at that time, the Palm was like the biggest thing, right? Like uh, the real world was there. It was like the first season and it was like talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, like this is what I want. This is what I want to do. So, you know, we just kept, coming better and better friends. And then in 2004, he called me up and was like, Hey, there's this DJ battle. The, the winner gets a residency at what turned into pure. So with that company. So he's like, I want you to come down. You'll be the only guy from out of town, but I want you to do it. 
So I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I came down and I ended up winning it. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, which is really cool. <clears throat> it was really cool. So it was like a nightclub battle, not like a battle battle, right? But like party rock kind of stuff. Um, and then that company like made me an offer. They were like, hey, you know, we're going to move you down to Vegas. Um, so ended up moving down here, had a job for me like as a resident. Um, so it really kind of made like that whole process like way easier. So came down here, moved in with Hollywood, lived with him for a couple years. And, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how it went. It was awesome. Nice. Yeah. Super cool. Nice. Nice. Um, going back to when you said you initially started with, uh, learning on, uh, just the videos that you had, um, compare that time where all you had was those DMC battles versus now kids can Google anything. The, the purist will say the new kids aren't real DJs because they didn't go through the struggle. Um, but the new kids, and I'm one of the new kids, will say, well, there's technology. We're using our resources the same way that you guys used resources you yeah, had at that 100%. time. Um, how do you feel about that? So I'm definitely like, I'm not against. My whole thing is if you're DJing and you're having fun being a DJ, that's what it's about. It doesn't matter how you do it or what you do it. If you're out DJing at a club and you're using some controller and everybody's dancing, cool, awesome. If if you're having fun and they're having fun and you know w whatever you want to do to 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 get there, it's cool with me. You're not affecting me at all. You know what I mean? I definitely understand the like purest thing. Yeah, it was like harder for me back in the day. We had to go to record stores and we had to do all these things and but the game was different, right? It was a totally different it was a totally different animal back in the day. Right. Um, I don't knock anybody that that's coming up now. I like, like you said, like it's the evolution of, of where, you know, where it's going. So you can either fight that, but that's a, that's a losing battle, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I like, I like all the technology. I'm into it. Um, I think it's, it's given access to a lot more people, which has grown the industry. And some may say that was to the detriment of the industry, and some may say that was for the benefit of it. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I can only give you my point of view on it, right. but I think that overall it's been great. And, you know, where I was 10 years ago versus where I'm at now, I'm in a much better place now. And I would have to say technology played a big part in that, you know? Nice. All right. So let's go back. I wanted to ask that before we got too far. Um, all right. So now here we are. We're in Vegas. We're doing it up. We got residencies. How does, how do you expand the brand? Like, how do we go from one venue to multiples? Like, so back in the day in Vegas, the way that it would work when I first come down here is you would get hired to a specific company and you would sign a contract with that company and you weren't allowed to play anywhere else in Vegas. So for me, the step was if I wanted to grow the brand, um, you know, you had to travel. And at that time, like everybody in Vegas was bringing LA DJs in, like that—that that was the move. But then Vegas guys were going all over, like you know, um, in 2004 it was like Hollywood and ROB, and this was like right when Five was—I think Five had just turned like 23 or 24, so he was, you know, becoming like a really well-known Vegas guy, you know, within the country and whatnot. And so I saw these guys playing a lot, like um, in Chicago and Miami and and all these other spots. And so I realized like right then that like that was the move. I know I wanted and I wanted to be a traveling DJ. Like I'd go travel with these guys and and I was like super fun, right? Like I'm young, we're seeing the country. Um, I was like, man, this is awesome. So f for me, it was like you really couldn't 
you could grow within the company you were at in Vegas, or you could try to like make a, uh, you know, a move and go to a different company. But that was really hard because back then the contracts were pretty like ironclad. Like you had like six months, no competes. And so basically you were like, if you want to jump, jump ship, you can't work in Vegas for six months. And that's like a big deal. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the only thing to do was to try to go and travel. So I would just make, you know, I would just meet as many people as I could um, that came to Vegas because lots of people were coming to Vegas, especially when Pure opened up, right? That was like kind of like a game changer for for the whole DJ industry, right? Um, and I would just meet all these people and and just kind of network and, and hang out and party. And, and it was a slow process, though. This wasn't like overnight all of a sudden I was like playing these, these cities. This was like five to 10 years of slowly, slowly, slowly up until I would say a few years ago where, you know, all of a sudden it was like every market, you know, we were playing in, which is really cool. Makes sense. Now, what, what was so special about pure and like rain back in the day? So those were kind of the very first nightclubs. Like there had always been, you know, there's always been big nightclubs, right? You had like studio 54 and, and, you know, other markets had like big nightclubs, right? what was different was is that one you had like rain for instance rain was the first like tv publicized mega club where people from all over the world were like oh my god i want to go see rain and it was like a paradigm shift almost for like the industry right like all of a sudden you had casinos backing nightclubs and casinos have you know, exponentially more amount of money than just a nightclub owner in some market, right? right? So they had access to just crazy amounts of marketing and budgets to do massive build outs and massive talent. And, you know, for uh, for the club at the time, like for a normal club to book Tiesto, for instance, and bring him over from Europe was, it was really rare, right? And all of a sudden you had these clubs that were like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Let's do it. It's going to bring us gamblers and it's going to bring us hotel guests. And they were looking at it in a different, completely, you know, in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And then when Pure opened up, Pure took the celebrity talent right route. So, you know, the first night they had Britney Spears. And I mean, I had never seen anything like it. Like you had, you know, 10,000 people show up to a nightclub and it literally closed down the casino for mm-hmm. a couple hours because you had this brand new club that was, and you brought Britney Spears at her prime and people just weren't doing that. You know, they had paid her like $200,000. It was something like that to to perform or just show up. No, just to show up, just to show up. Yeah. This was just, just to like host the night. And you know, at the time, like that was completely unfathomable to other people. Like how do you even, how can you even recoup the cost? But they went into it with like, well, if we do Britney Spears tonight for 200 and let's say the club only makes 200, well, that's fine because now we've, you know, everybody is going to want to come to this club moving forward and it worked. So you had these like big celebrity DJs and, you know, they weren't the first people to do bottle sales, but they were the first people to streamline the process to make it super, super, you know, where if you had the money, you wanted the real estate at the table and they made the experience of it, you know, like, like you wanted to do that. You were willing to spend the money. You were willing to go get 10 of your friends to all pitch in right. 200 bucks because you wanted a table to go see that, right? Um, and that just kind of opened the doors for other casinos to see what was going on and other, you know, your town groups and these other places to come in and, and take that same model and, you know, refine it and, and 
you know, it was it was crazy. It was just a big shift in like the whole way the nightclub industry worked. Wow. Okay. So now let's fast forward a little bit. You're in your first contract, <clears throat> but you're not with that that agency, that company anymore. No. Different. Now you're within somebody. Now was there with the, your current agency and that was there steps in between? So um, when you mean agency, you mean like blackout? Yeah. So the blackout wasn't even on, wasn't even there yet. So this was just this was just um, um, just me kind of by myself, um, and so basically what happened was is I had signed like a deal with Peer Group. Peer Group got bought out by a different company that effectively terminated my contract, and then I kind of found myself in this like gray area where, like, the new company hadn't asked me to like re-sign a contract, and I was like, cool. And then at that time, like. Uh, uh, the Palms had built their second tower and they were opening up this club called Moon and Playboy Moon, Club. Right. So the music director over there is this guy named ROB and he was like, hey, you know, I want to bring you on for some shifts. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. They didn't ask me to sign a contract and neither did this other company. So I kind of found myself in this position where I was no longer under contract and I was just kind of flying under the radar. I wasn't doing the like super, super crazy Saturday night primetime shifts I didn't have a lot of eyes on me gotcha. and I was, you know, everybody was telling me like, that's the best place to be in. They were like, yo man, like you, you're in a perfect spot. No one's really like paying attention. Not that they're not paying attention to you, but nobody's, nobody's coming into the office on money and being like, yo, why isn't, you know, why isn't Icon under a contract? And so I was like, okay, cool. So I was just able to kind of like work myself into like three or four different like management groups and work like one or two shifts a week or a month or whatever and i was able to fill my calendar that way and they gave me a ton more contacts um and it was at that time that uh we kind of like started going down the path of blackout okay. and i had worked for a company called light group they're the ones that own like nightlight like light nightclub <laughs> and haze and whatnot um one of the marketing directors there for this pool bear um is named uh Klika Mokwin, and she's the owner of blackout now so um, you know, I contacted her and I was like, Hey, I really want to start this, this agency. You know, what do you think about being, what do you think about running it? And then originally it was me, her and DJ karma. We were like the three people that started it. And she was like, yeah, she's like, I'm all about it. And at this time, like scam had become like a really big thing for open format. Like everybody wanted to be on scam and it was like vice and you know, all these guys. And it was like a huge thing. So we were like, you know, there's definitely some like credit there to having an agency. Let's start it. And then it just kind of one thing led to another, and then um, yeah, and then eight years later, now Blackout's like a pretty 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 cool agency. It's definitely one of the one of the best ones, I think. Well, it is the best, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a little bit biased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, so now we're Blackout. We're in Vegas, twenty years. Yeah. What keeps you DJing? So uh, well, a few things. You know, one, it's it's my job. Obviously, I have I have a family. Um, so. Supporting my family is obviously like a really big thing, but you know, DJing is, is my passion. It's always been my passion. Um, I love DJing. I love the DJ culture. Um, you know, the, the friends that I've made, the relationships that I've made being a DJ, you know, um, I've got to see the world over a couple times now, um, uh, from DJing, um, you know, and the longer that I've been a DJ and the more, you know, first it was like, I looked up to a bunch of guys. And then I kind of was at this spot where it was like, 
I wouldn't say like I was a mentor to other people, but I would kind of like, I wasn't necessarily like asking other guys for advice anymore. Right. I was like this at this level and I was having a lot of fun. And then now I've kind of developed into more of a mentor role for the next generation. And I have a lot of you know, friends that I meet with all the time. And, and, and that's, that's been really, um, that's really kept me like engaged in the community. Cause I really find that I love it. Like nice. I love, you know, that mentor role that I've kind of, and then obviously doing stuff with like club killers and whatnot, like that keeps me really engaged in the community and, and, you know, have like, <laughs> a lot of really fun projects that I get to work on. And, um, and I think things like that are really what keep me involved with it. Nice. All right. Let's play a game. I love games. All right. The Game of Thrones. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've never seen an episode of that. What? Dude, something blasphemy. Get out. (laughs) Get out. Something about flying (laughs) dragons and shit like that just just doesn't. I don't want to fight you, bro. I don't want to fight you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Let's play a game. We're going to call this game rapid fire. All right. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You give me the first answer that comes to mind. All right. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. Describe yourself in three words. Funny approachable and um uh, uh oh man i don't know what the third one is <laughs> um uh i guess i guess uh not nice i guess i don't know <laughs> everybody says i'm a nice guy so if you could have any superpowers what would they be oh you know what we talk about this all the time so i would have always said flight but then my friend she's always like she's like no teleportation would be the best because you could just teleport wherever you want it instantly instead of having to fly there. And I was like, you know what? I like that. I like that. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say teleportation. Nice. That does make sense. If your life was a movie, what would it be called? Boogie Nights. No, <laughs> I just kidding. Um, man, it's not uh, a bad title though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your favorite sneaker of all time. Oh, the cause or the Jordan ones. One of those two. Yeah. What's something you wish you were really good at? Ooh, scratching. Super easy. No matter how much I practice. Actually, I used to say bee juggling. I can scratch a little bit, but bee juggling, the the concept, no matter after 20 years, just it just mystifies me. I just outside of just you like super basic things. I just like like I watch some of these guys, I'm like, what are you doing right now? I don't understand. I don't know how much I Google this. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. All right. If your name wasn't Icon, what would it be? Um, oh, that's a good question. Man, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, yeah, I went through a bunch of names. I was really into like smoking weed when I picked a name. And okay. so I was going to be DJ Doja. But thank God my friend stepped in and vetoed that. Because <laughs> that's such a terrible name. Oh, man, I don't know. Uh Mr. Nice Guy. I know. <laughs> Another weed reference. Okay. Uh, only people who have seen have baked caught that. All right. Um, what's your zodiac sign? Capricorn. And just so you know, I know nothing about that. Okay. Outside of that. <laughs> Is it ever okay to double dip at a party? Like, like double dip the chips? Well, see, this is my take on it. I think it's okay if you dip one side 
and then you turn it around and you can dip the clean side. I'm okay with that. But if you if it enters your mouth, no. All right. What is your one favorite item of clothing? <clears throat> oh, I'll have to say my very the the very first feature shirt that we ever made. Um that is my favorite piece of clothing, and I still have it hanging in my closet. Nice. The worst job you've ever had. Oh, I was a I well, I have two worst jobs that are equally as terrible. I was a loader for UPS, which is when you go in and they load the trucks and I don't know what people think happens, but you basically go in this super hot, nasty warehouse and packages come down this conveyor belt and it's you and another person and you have to load the packages as fast as you can and you have to like scan each one to make sure it's going to the right destination, load it in a certain way and you got these like warehouse managers that come through and like they just like yell at you like faster, faster, faster and it's like the hardest work you can possibly imagine mm-hmm. and you work in like six hour shifts and it's so brutal. Damn. That was that, and then I also was, I built fences for a summer in Reno, and that was a terrible job because the ground is super rocky, and so you're just sitting there, like, basically just with a sledgehammer, just chiseling rock, rocks day after day after day. That was the worst job ever. Um, toilet paper roll, up or down? Up. I don't even know what that means, but I don't oh, you know, we pull it from the upper. I don't know. Oh, no, down. I'm, I'm yeah. a downer. Gotcha. I'm a downer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last song you Shazammed. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't use Shazam very often. Probably, I usually bust out Shazam when I'm at, like, some, like, really ghetto parties, and I see some songs working that, like, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. So I'll Shazam it. Um, and I used to have an iWatch, and you could have Shazam on your watch. And so I, because you know, you don't, you don't want to be that guy at the party that's like, like looking around. So I'd like do it on my watch. Um, probably some ghetto song that was hot for a week, and then that would that'd be it. Yeah. All right. Your favorite city to DJ outside of Vegas? Ooh, that's a good one. So I've had a few cities that like I've had great relationships with, like over the years. Um, Seattle. Seattle was the first city that like I like really developed like a I would say somewhat of like a following up there and I spent years going up there and and uh you know I just loved the people up there and and it was super fun. Um Chicago for sure, San Diego is another one. Um and yeah, I'd probably say I'd probably say those ones. Oh, Boston too. I love Boston. Boston's so fun and I just love the city. It's like I'm a huge history buff, and oh man, I love Boston. I actually just got back from Boston. It's expensive as fuck. Yes, like it's probably the second most expensive city I've traveled to outside of San Francisco. Um, and funny you said history. I was pissed. <coughs> I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. We preserve all our historic shit, and I just went to Philly for the Red Bull Three style, and they did a decent job of preserving stuff. And then I go to Boston, and I'm like, this is it, like. Y'all it, built around the whole thing, and it's like it's definitely not the same as like yeah. when you go to Philly and they have. It's definitely, um, um, but I really like the city. Oh, it's San Francisco is another one. I had okay. to put first on the list. I love spent years in San Francisco, and yeah. and uh, it's just such a cool city. All right, here we go. Um, texting or talking? Oh, I'm a talker for sure, for sure. To the detriment of all my friends, I'm a talker. <laughs> Fill in the blank. 
Ariana Grande is smoking hot. <laughs> coffee or energy drinks? Oh, coffee all the way. I don't. I hate energy drinks, but I drink a couple cups of coffee a day. Nice. Your favorite Kardashian? Who? That's a tough one. I've I've met Rob, Chloe, Courtney, and Kim, and I've uh, like a few times. Um, Chloe and Courtney were some of the nicest people I've met. Like they were so cool, and I actually got to spend a little bit of time with Courtney and Chloe. Um, and like they were just so awesome, like so awesome. Um, my interaction with Kim was like pretty brief, and she seemed really nice. Like she was, she was really cool. Um, Rob, like this was like years ago um, when he was like, like uh, doing like a lot of like nightclub dates and whatnot. And so I did a bunch of things with him, and he was also super, super cool. Like, but I would probably if I had to just pick one, it'd probably be Chloe. She was, uh, she was just so cool, so much fun, and. And uh, we had like a just a great time. Maybe it's a blackout thing because uh, Conrad said the same thing. Yeah, she's so cool, <clears throat> so cool. Okay, um, is it wrong for vegetarians to eat animal crackers? No. If you died, and God said you could take one CD to heaven to listen to for life, what CD do you take? Who? Pulp Fiction soundtrack, maybe. Um, Gardens of the Galaxy Volume One soundtrack, maybe. My favorite hip hop album is is um, Rockham the Eighteenth Letter, so maybe that or Tribe's first album. Man, that's a tough one. Probably the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. If I had to just pick one, Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Yeah, all right. Turntables or CDJs? Uh, well, I love turntables. I use CDJs now, but that was more of a result of a couple years ago when they started making turntables. A lot of the clubs I played at. You couldn't use, like, it wasn't even an option to use turntables. So they were like, all we have are CDJs and, you know, these big DJ booths built on this, like, big bass cabinets and whatnot. Like, it wasn't even an option. Now that the face controllers have come out, I would definitely, I mean, I love record CDJs. You know, I would, I'm sorry, turntables. I'd much rather use turntables. Uh, and now that the face controllers are out, I think that's going to open up for a lot of the venues to be like, oh, cool. You know, now the bass isn't an issue, uh, whatnot. So, Turntables if I could, but realistically, it's like never an option for me. Gotcha. All right. Last one. What word starts with the letter F and ends with the letters UCK? Fuck. <laughs> I was trying to think of something smart to say, but I couldn't go with it. I, mean, I was thinking fire truck, but okay. Fire truck. <laughs> uh. All right, y'all. There you have it. <laughs> All right, man. Let's talk about Club Killers. All right. How'd you guys, uh, or how'd you get involved with these guys? So it was kind of a, it's kind of like a funny process. So um, Alex, the owner of Club Killers, Alex Dreams, he came to what was, it's Jewel now, but what was Hayes back in the day. Uh, he came there and he came with one of our friends and kind of walked up to the booth and introduced himself and, and we just ended up hanging out all night like, drinking at the bar and like we just like hit it off um and at the time that was like right when club killers first started uh but he was doing some these parties called house of dreams in la and they were like these really big events so i, I knew who he was um and i knew like kind of what he was doing so he kind of gave me a free account and i was like yeah this is awesome um and then we just kind of stayed in touch really so i would say that was like five or six years ago um and then like Three or four years ago, he kind of 
started doing some like, you know, the club coach started reaching out to other DJs and the brand was kind of getting bigger and they moved to Vegas. And then I came down and visited him here. And then, you know, he was like, Hey, if you have any ideas for stuff that you want to do, let me know. And, and at that time I was like, yeah, if there's anything I can do to like further my DJ career, like I'm all about it. Right. right? So, uh, we just kind of kept kicking ideas around and I did a few like, like things, you know, for, for the brand and, and he would help, you know, market it and whatnot. Um, and I was like contributing to the record pool. I wasn't like a full-time like employee, but I was doing like edits and they would put post them and whatnot. Um, and then like three, three or four years ago, he pushed me to do the first episode on the road. Okay. So he was like, you know, Hey, we want to, we want to do this documentary on what it's like to, you know, not be Tiesto, but to be a traveling DJ. And like, what does that actually look like when you're not in private jets and all these kind of things? So, you know, we filmed that and that was awesome. And, and then later, later, or sorry, later, earlier this year, um, I took the job as creative director for Club Killers. So now um, I head up all the like new merchandise and, and all the, I'm in charge of curating and kind of putting together all the content outside of music so the videos and igtv and and uh you know um new on the roads or any kind of like that content like um um it's it's uh my job to kind of get everybody on the same page and get those done i'm not necessarily the person that does all of it but you know it's my job to kind of be the driving force behind point behind getting it all done okay let's talk about on the road um that was actually the first time that i Found out who you were. Oh, awesome. And um, I traveled a lot. At the time, I want to say I was working for an airline. So we got to travel for free. <clears throat> and my one of my best friends in life, he lives out here. Shout out to my boy, Smoke. Um, so I would be at work in the wintertime in Denver, and I'd look at the forecast. And I'd say, snow, bet. Let me tweak some things on the schedule. <laughs> hey, somebody want to work for me on this day? Boom. I'm, and I came to Vegas. Anytime it snowed, yeah, yeah. I would come to Vegas just to hide out from the snow. Anywho, so I'm watching and I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. Wait, I've never taken a shower in an airport bathroom. Um, <laughs> what the hell is this guy doing? Like, and it, it caught me off guard, but I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, that's the life of a DJ. But it was really cool because, again, you got to see the, the average Joe, so to speak. Right, DJ. yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> are you still doing as much traveling now as you were then? Um, a little bit less, um, but I still travel probably eight days of eight days a month. So eight times a month, um, and then like, like my next two weeks are like pretty crazy. Like I'm only home like one day a week for 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 two weeks, but then I get like two weeks off after that from traveling. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I would say the answer is yeah. I'm still traveling a ton. Now, is that something that you guys are looking to bring back and continue more episodes with other traveling? DJs? Yeah, we have a we. I think we have an episode with Shift coming out. Um, I think in the next like two or three weeks, there's just a couple things we need to wrap up, um, and then the videographer actually that that filmed that episode um, is a guy named John Cha. He moved to Dubai. He just moved back. Um, today's actually like his first day in the office. I'm like so excited. Nice. Um, but now that he's back here full time, um, we're gonna we're we have a list of DJs that we're that we want to keep doing, I and mean, we're gonna streamline them a little bit, make them like not not so long. Like I think mine was like 20 minutes, um, more of like a condensed version of it. Um, and the game's changed, right? So like we want to adjust like what does it look like now? Because it's way different than you know when we made that. It's completely different now than yeah. it was then so 
um, yeah, just kind of let it evolve a little bit. And then, you know, I think we want to do some episodes with some like younger, younger guys that are just starting to travel. And then I think we have a couple like really big veterans that have agreed to do episodes, which is really exciting. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So we've got on the road and then there was tech talk. Yeah. And I really was on, on top of tech talk as well. Um, <clears throat> And the one episode that really sticks out of my mind was when uh, Jay Espinosa did the scratching and able to yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even scratch, but I was like, that's pretty dope. Um, is that something that we can see future episodes on? Or? Yeah, we're actually, uh, it's funny you say that. So actually, um, we're going to start season two um, and we're going to revamp it a little bit uh, now that, you know, we've gotten better with our video content and and now I kind of want to do it a little less like you know for season one I thought it was it was cool but looking back on it I want to make it a little more entertaining a little more less uh less like I'm just reading from like a cue card because <laughs> a lot of them are very like step one blah, 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 step two and at the time like that was it was awesome and we got good feedback from it uh, but yeah make it a little more entertaining and then we want to cover a lot more a lot of the topics were like Ableton based, um, and this time we're actually gonna we're actually gonna post something coming up in the next week or two. But we're gonna let the whole DJ community decide what are the future episodes that we're gonna do. Not us sitting around like picking topics, but you know what is what is our what does the community want to learn, right? Um, and then we're gonna go from there. And then a lot of the stuff too is gonna be like like less like you know how to back up your library, but more of like. Like a record box walkthrough with like Trentino, for instance, right? Like world champion, he's gonna come down and he uses it exclusively now. So we're gonna do, he's gonna show us how like he does it, or you know, um, we get a lot of stuff on like how do you do like a wordplay routine, stuff like that. So we're gonna do some episodes like that, and and I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Nice, nice. Uh, and then I saw that you're doing is it a weekly kind of recap thing? So that's <laughs> actually um, yeah, that was a show that we put together for. Actually, it's for a DJ CLA, mm-hmm. um, but whenever she's out of town or, or can't do it or whatnot, then uh, then I kind of cover her. Uh, I kind of like the fill-in guy for anyone's show, so if like okay. they if they can't do it, then then I'll pop in. But yeah, we're really excited about that. I think we just hit our seventh episode, and and uh, each one's getting bigger and bigger. And and uh, actually, it's funny is like IGTV has been now they changed the interface mm-hmm. has been like crazy for us. Um, it's like by far like our biggest platform. Which is like crazy. Yeah, we just did a, a test video one day just to see how it would work, and it was like five times the amount of views that <laughs> we wow. would get on like a normal post. It was crazy. Yeah, so that's been really exciting for us. Well, you know, and it's crazy because when when I first started seeing these things getting longer, not not just necessarily you guys' videos, but just in general, I'm I think I was so used to that sixty seconds mm-hmm. that when it said keep watching, I was like, hell no, you ain't saying the first yeah. sixty seconds. And then as I started seeing it more, I was like, well, let me hit keep yeah. watching, and I was like, oh. Well, damn! I missed these two minutes, and they were just as good as the first minute. Yeah, so I was like, "That's what's up." Yeah, it's it's cool. And then, you know, Instagram is is a pretty interesting company is right right now as far as they're they're really trying to take they're almost like a WhatsApp approach, like in China, right, or like in in Asia, where WhatsApp is a one stop shop for everybody. You can text, you can post pictures, you can buy stuff, you can do everything right from this one program. Wow. And what they're trying to do right now is they're trying to get everyone to stop using Facebook and stop using um, YouTube, and they're giving you the ability to curate all your content. And moving forward, like starting like in the next couple of months, you'll be able to buy stuff 
directly through Instagram in one click. Not where it's right now where you click and then you go to PayPal and whatnot. Like you'll literally be able to stay within the app and you can do long form content with IGTV. You can do short form content with your 60 seconds. You can buy stuff. You can sell stuff. You can obviously post your pictures. They're going to be doing. It's pretty interesting what they're doing. It's definitely like, like they, they're really going after it. It's, it's pretty cool what they're doing. Nice, nice. So what can uh, what can we expect in the future as far as content from Club Killers? So we have a ton of stuff in the works. Um, we have an entire new merch lineup coming out. I think we're going to drop in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we have a really pretty ambitious goal. We want to start doing like one product um, a week. We have um, like four, four to five other shows right now that are in concept that we're going to start filming hopefully within the next 14 days. So really what you can start to expect to see from us is one show every day. That's our goal is to do a show, oh, wow. five shows a week. Um, and then on top of that, we really want to be focusing on like building that, that DJ community and having Club Killers not just be a resource for music, but be a really good resource for information for DJs. So you'll be able to get, you know, music uh, industry news, music news, um, product, you know, <laughs> unboxes and, mm-hmm. and as well as like reaching out to other like people in the community to, to, you know, we want to, we want to give access to as much information as possible through the most amount of sources that we can, uh, moving forward. So yeah, well, I'm really excited about it. We have like a ton of like really fun, like stuff in the works. Nice. Um, I think that's actually pretty cool. Cause I didn't, this is going to sound really shitty and I'll probably end up taking this part out, but um, I used to always log into Club Killers and go right to music mm-hmm. and get what I needed. And one day I had loaded it and got distracted or something. <clears throat> something popped up on the screen and I turned and looked at it and then I scrolled. I was like, oh shit, what's all this? Because I never, I mean, right, yeah. in my mind, I no, totally, there, yeah. you know, I was there to get my music. And I was like, oh, they got this, they got this. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> and I was surprised at how much good information was there. Yeah. You know? So now, before I log in, I'll just kind of scroll up and be like, okay, I've seen all this. Cool. You know? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have a war board in the back, and it's just full of all these just really cool ideas that, you know, and, and we're really trying to encourage, like, the DJ community to reach out to us directly to tell us what, what information they want, not just from tech talk, but from anything, right? Like, like, uh, you know, I had someone contact me the other day and we're like, Hey, I really want to start doing my own, um, like YouTube vlogs, but I don't know anything about cameras. So I'm going to do a whole thing on, on what's the best camera for someone. And that's like totally random. Right. But like, that's something that like, a that's that's something that I get a lot is like those kind of things. And that's, that's not content that we're seeing on other platforms, mm-hmm. specifically geared towards, you know, DJs and, and whatnot. So that's the kind of stuff that we want to be doing is like, like, how could we help you build your brand start to finish um, and really just help you get out there and, and, you know, be the best you can be. And, you know, that's actually a really good video because when I or a good idea for a video, when I started, you know, of course, I did what everybody does. I looked at, you know, getting the, um, the mirrorless DSLR cameras right, yeah. and all that stuff. And I'm like, shit, the one I want is like five grand. Right. And I'm like, but then I kind of, you know, went in the YouTube wormhole <clears throat> and was there for three days. And then, boom, a GoPro video pops up. Yeah. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, a GoPro is 300 bucks. Right. This camera is five grand. So I ended up buying a GoPro and... 
like, holy shit, this is what's up. Yeah, and, and that's up, and then I end up buying two right. more. <laughs> so I'm like, I got one, two, three, and then you know now I'm trying this this three sixty, and I'm still under five grand. Right. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> so and it's cool. It's like we're in a really good. I I would consider this the like golden age of like technology for content creators, right? Yeah. Like for depending on what you want to do, you could go out and you can get like a really cool setup for under $2,000, right? And you could be making all sorts of really good content. Um, it's like crazy, you know, back in the day, like you couldn't do any of this stuff without like a cinema camera or whatever. That day is gone. Yeah. Like you can make incredible content with something that you just go down to Best Buy and get. Yeah. Like for not very much money and you can make incredible content on that stuff. You know, my two cents is trial and error. I went like all this shit, I carry all of this. Right. <laughs> and I got two bags. One's 50 pounds, one's 40 pounds. <clears throat> and I was going to get rid of these mics. They're just big, bulky, and I had to fight with the camera angle sometimes. And I was going to do these lapel mics, these uh, hidden little lapel mics. And I was actually in Atlanta. And the guy I was talking to in Atlanta was like, nah, stick with these. When you show up, this, this looks legit. Right, yeah. People are going to take you seriously. 100%, yeah. You know, if you just showed up with, you know, a, a lapel mic and an iPhone, I might have been like, come on, bro. Right. <laughs> come on, man. You know? So I'm like, yeah, you can do it with an I iPhone and whatnot. But I guess I wanted to be taken serious. So <clears throat> I invested a shit ton of money in all yeah. this. Um, hey, your setup's dope. It's super cool. I need to get a sponsor. Hint, hint. <laughs> so, I can, nah, Toyota, where you at? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I need me one of those too. Um, okay, so um, um, let's play another game. Have you ever played Two Truths and a Lie? No, and I, I, I didn't oh, know what that was. I so I was, I was laughing. I was like, and I didn't want to ask Deville. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what two truths and a lie is basically you're going to tell me three things. Okay. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be a lie. Okay. I have to guess which one is the lie. Okay. That's it. All right. Anything I want? Anything you want. Okay. Two truths. Okay. Well, you don't tell me which one it is. I have to guess which yeah, one is yeah, the yeah. lie. Okay. Yeah. So I just tell you three things, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have four kids. Okay. Mariah Carey won't let you um, look at her or speak to her. Of any kind, if she hosts a night at a nightclub. <clears throat> My name is Aaron White. All right. Um, I've heard some some crazy stories about Mariah and her being DV, uh, diva-ish. Um, so I'm going to say that one's true. Um, I failed to ask you your government name before we started this interview. <laughs> so now I'm on a fence like, is that it? Or is uh, is it the four kids? I know you have kids. Um, and I'm like, hold on. I stalked them yeah, on I Instagram. Yeah, I assume because I know you know I have kids, but I doubt you know how many. Um, well, I Aaron White's a pretty ridiculous name for a six-part white guy. Yeah. Um, well, I stalked you a little bit on Instagram, and I just saw a boy and a girl. So I'm going to say that the kids is the lie because you only have two instead of four. Yep, got it, got it. Yeah, I'm a winner. <laughs> okay, you got two kids. Yep, boy, girl, boy, girl, Olivia and Xander. Hold on. Yep, uh, two and five. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy age. Which one's older? Uh, Xander. So older, older boy, which I was super stoked. Yes. Because, in my experience, older sisters just get younger brothers in trouble. 
But older brothers take care of younger sisters. I'm guessing you have an older sister? No, I'm actually oh, okay. an only child. Well, I have, I have one stepbrother, um, but uh, no no direct siblings. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> how, do you, uh, how do you balance dad life? Like you just said, you're gone for two weeks. You're home one day. I mean, and you got a five and a two-year-old. Yeah. Like, tell us how, how you balance that. It's it's hard because the the biggest problem that I have is I actually have, like, three jobs. So I have my DJ career. Mm-hmm. I have Club Killers. Um, so, you know, I'm doing this. And then I also have a separate, like, photo and photography business. That um, So between those three things, uh, you know, it's a lot. The The way that I balance it is, luckily, my wife is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, if it if it wasn't for her, this wouldn't even be an option, right? Um, I'd probably only be able to do one of those things. But she's like one hundred percent supportive and like she totally gets it. And, you know, she it's hard because she really bears the brunt a lot of the times of like, you know, obviously when I'm here, I you know, I do as much as I can with the kids and, and you know, I'm try to be the best dad I and try to be the most relevant dad I can, right? I don't I'm always trying to be there with the kids and spend as much quality time with them as I can. But when I'm gone, you know, it falls on her. Um, and she, she's just awesome. She's totally supportive at it, of it. She totally gets it. Um, I don't know how you could balance it without that. Um, like, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to answer that if it wasn't for her. <laughs> Here's a random question. I've, I've talked to <clears throat> several DJs, you know, that are married spouses, and, and you know, everybody says, you know, same thing. Yo, your spouse has to support you 100%. Yeah. Just not going to work. When you first got with your wife, like, does she understand, hey, this is how I am? Or did you kind of have to, for lack of a better word, train her to this is the lifestyle? Kind no, of so, you know, with, with her and I, it was, it was kind of a, so we've been together 18 years. So I actually knew her before I moved down here. She was one of my very first friends. Um, you know, so when I moved down here, we were, before we were dating, but, like, we were good friends. Uh, we started, she was actually a cocktail waitress at Pure at the time. So she was in the scene. She understood the lifestyle. Um, and then, you know, when we started dating and, you know, kind of started pursuing that, she was already well aware. Like she knew what was going on. She knew the lifestyle. She's, you know, the first couple of years she traveled a lot with me and, and, you know, we'd go to these other, other cities and, and she totally get it. So I, I wouldn't even know how to answer that question if like, Today, for instance, right? Like I was met somebody mm-hmm. and trying to bring them into my lifestyle, they just wouldn't get it. Right. And I don't even know how I would even approach that with somebody because they would be like, you know, they just wouldn't understand. Um, and I'm not saying that's, you know, the case for ever for all people, but it would just be really hard. But because she was, you know, she's this came in steps, right? It wasn't like all of a sudden one day I was just had all these things. Um you know, this came in steps, and and we were together a long time before we had kids. So, you know, that that helped a lot. Nice. Yeah. So you had the fortunate, um, if you will, that you guys kind of went through this together, this yeah. journey together mm-hmm. from the beginning. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Because uh, a lot of people ask me that too. Hey, look, you know, you're always on the road. You're here. You're there. Like, and I got a baby on the way. Yeah. And people are like, uh, how does she deal with that? And I was like, you know, we kind of had that talk. Like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Like, yeah, get on board. You right. Know? Like, <laughs> hit your wagon to me. Let's roll. You know. So. And even that being said, as amazing as she is, that doesn't mean that it's easy. Yeah. That just means that it makes it easier for me. 
but it's it's a you know there's a lot of give and take there for yeah. sure you know but big shout out to kelly i love you <laughs> shout out to kelly <laughs> all right um so we're bouncing dad um but you know you said you got three jobs yeah but don't you uh don't you own a sneaker shop too so yes um i'm i'm part owner um we actually um at the beginning of this year we opened a new location inside the wind casino which was like crazy big um at that point like me and my partners kind of sat down and and it was either we had this like all in kind of conversation right it was like the company is growing super fast there's <clears throat> crazy amount of like expansion going on um and it kind of came to this point where it was either i had to basically decide that i wanted to do that uh, full time and that was gonna be my only job or not um and to be honest like i love shoes and it's been awesome owning feature and being a part of that, but it's not my passion. Um, and you know, that business is kind of at its port. It's kind of at a point where, you know, it's kind of evolving into like specialized labor, right? Like people that they're bringing on board specialize in what they're doing and they've been doing it and they're experts in their field. I'm not an expert in any field of sneakers. Gotcha. So, um, it made it really easy for me to take a step back. Um, you know, I'm still involved in like major decisions, but, as far as like day to day and whatnot, I don't, you know, I don't have any, any, I'm not involved in those in, and that's fine. <laughs> that's totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was like a great, that was like a, it was an awesome, an awesome scenario. So, yeah. it took, so it took a little something off your plate. You it know? did. It did. And I'm still super involved. But like I said, as far as like going down there every day and all those kind of things, like that's, that's not where, that's not where I'm going. And know? what's the name of the shop? Uh, feature, feature sneaker boutique. Um, you can find them, uh, it's uh, www.feature.com or uh, at FeatureLV is on Instagram. There you go. Make sure y'all go there. Let's transition from the sneaker shop back to the DJ booth. All right. One of the things I like to ask every DJ that I talk to, because everybody has different experiences. They've seen different things. Um, and I love asking this question because I put out most of the content in the podcast for the people to see, but there's some that doesn't get out. But... um. I always like to ask, what's the craziest thing you've seen in the booth and from the booth? So in the booth, I would say the craziest thing. Um, I mean, the craziest thing that one of the craziest things that ever happened to me was um, so we were doing an event with Travis Scott and um, I had never met Travis Scott before. Um, him and his crew were like in the building. This was at he was there. Um, they were downstairs in like the green room and I'm like, you know, I was like DJing before he went on and like right in the middle of my set, this guy walks up on stage just by himself and he literally just pushes me out of the way. And I'm like, who is this? And I look over and all of a sudden at first I didn't even register. It's Travis Scott. Right. So he just like kicks me out of, out of my, out of my, he doesn't even say anything to me. He just pushes me out of the way. And just starts like going through my computer. And I'm like, and at first I'm like mad, like, yo, who the fuck is this dude? Uh, wait, can I say that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? So then I realize who it is. And so I walk up and I'm like, hey, man, you know what's going on? Like, you know, can I help you find something or whatever? And, you know, he like won't even talk to me, won't even acknowledge that I'm there. And I'm like, uh, okay. So like two minutes later, like some more of his people from his entourage like come up on stage. He just like 
grab I have the mic in my hand, grabs the mic out of my hand, <coughs> walks up to the front of the stage and like does his performance, DJs for himself, like literally just like kicks me out. And then the performance was crazy. It was like I've it's one I don't know if you ever seen Travis Scott, but when he performs, like people are literally climbing up, like hanging off stuff. Wow. It's so crazy. And then he just like gets done, drops the mic, doesn't even say a word, and just walks off stage. Wow. Like the song hands, everyone's looking at me. I'm like, like at this point, like his security had kind of come up. So they were kind of like holding me back, like not holding me back, like I was trying to get the thing, but like they're kind of like, you know, don't go up on stage kind of thing. So I'm like, what? So I got to like run up there. There's like no music at this point, right? Um, I had to like run up there, find a song, start the song, like, it was crazy. Like it was, I'd never seen anything like it before. I'd never had an artist do anything like that before, except for Mariah Carey, um, who you can't talk to or look to. Um, <laughs> it was just such an, it was such a, like a unique, like, like, like I didn't even know what to like say or do or like, do I get mad at him? Do I not get mad at him? Uh, I mean, I've seen like crazy things like, like stuff that like girls have done or artists have come in and like done crazy things. But I feel like that's all stuff you can see on TMZ. Um, I feel like that's like a pretty like unique situation. And uh, Chase B wasn't with him. So it wasn't like his DJ wasn't there. Um, it was just such an odd like, like, I mean, and he literally like pushed me out of the way. Like to the point where I was like, yo, I'm going to tee off on this guy. And this Travis Scott. And I was like, and I just felt like, it was just felt so funny. And I felt like, like the hired help, you know what I mean? Like I was like <laughs> so beneath him. I don't know. It was funny, but like, that was pretty interesting for sure. All right. So then what's the craziest thing you've seen from the booth into the crowd? From the booth into the crowd. I mean, I've seen like, I've seen girls get totally naked before, which is crazy. I've seen crazy fights. For sure. I've seen bottles thrown at people before. Like, like uh, I've seen that. I think one of the craziest things that I've seen, which was like so cool, um, I was DJing for Waka Flocka, um, and we were like, uh, this was in Connecticut. And he comes up to me, and he's like, yo, he's like, at the end, I'm just going to like get down in the crowd. And I'm like, okay, all right, I've seen that before. So he goes down, and he does this whole like last song like in the crowd, right? Like in the middle of the crowd. There's like 2,000 people. Wow. And like, it was like crazy. He was just like, everybody was like so amped up. And as soon as the song ends, he was like, yo, I'm buying everybody in this club a shot. Let's go to the bar. And I don't even, it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like all these people just bum rushed the bar. He was just like pouring shots at everybody. And he literally stayed until, I mean, we closed the club. Like the club was closed. And he was still just partying with everybody, but I had never seen like like the reaction was like it was like a positive, like a positive riot. Yeah. But it was like the craziest thing. I mean, like the managers are running around, they don't know what's going on. Like everybody bum rushes the bar, and he was just like, it was the coolest thing. It was nice. so cool. Uh, that was definitely pretty crazy. Like on a positive note, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, obviously, I've seen like other you know crazy things, but I feel like that's just all like kind of people being dumb yeah. you know what i mean like just like stupid stuff um but yeah like that was really cool i saw someone throw like fifty thousand dollars at the club in a, re in a regular club not a strip club no regular a club. regular club right yeah. off the right off the balcony at bank yeah he walked in and he was like i'm gonna make it rain and and 
he had just like like the DJ booth at Bank back in the day was so you're on like a second level for people that don't, have never been there. And then right next to the booth is like this big VIP table and it's like a balcony that overlooks the main dance floor. And so he walked up and he was like, yo, we're going to make it rain. And I'm like, yeah, hey, okay, whatever. And then he just showed me these like stacks of money. And at the time I was like, that seems like a lot. Like there was like a lot of stacks. And I was like, that seems like a lot of money. And like he throws it and whatever. And then later like his security guard came up to me and I was like, man, how much money was that? And he was like, he was like, I think it was around 50 G's. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy, man. Did it cause a stir at the, on the dance floor there? So he kind of did it in like two waves, but yeah, I mean, you just see the entire crowd, like cocktail waitresses, bussers. I mean, everybody just drops down to the floor and it was just scrambling. It's so funny. Cause you know, you're talking about people that are probably making like, you know, hundred thousand dollars a year. And they're so excited to pop up with like a dollar, right? They get like one or two bucks. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you leave just crowd on the floor for two bucks. Like, <laughs> uh, that, that was definitely crazy because it was so like unexpected. Right. You know what I mean? I've seen people take like $100 or whatever, but I mean, it was just stacks of money, like stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks. And I didn't think, I didn't think he was going to throw all of it, but he just was hammered and wanted to do it. Um, the other crazy thing is I was at a classic one night and there was there were two people the the I don't know if I never could confirm this, but I think there was like one was a Saudi prince and another was like another Saudi prince or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Um and this was like right when Excess got like first started getting like super crazy popular. Um and they were just buying bottles for the entire club one after another. And the one of the managers told me that they spent like over a million five. Wow. Like just buying bottles. And you could just see it. It would just be like, I mean, every couple minutes, this waitress would just bring a bottle of champagne for my table. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm not going to buy anything. Right. Uh, but you could just see him just firing off one, boom, 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 boom. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? Like, like were they competing? Yeah, like like going back and forth with each other. It was crazy. Um, that from just like a silliness standpoint yeah. is pretty crazy uh, to see that. Like that was definitely like, because, you know, like we're standing in the booth. And I'm just like, Yo, this is crazy, like <laughs> crazy. Uh, that's definitely like pretty crazy. Now, for sure, and not to throw shade at Mariah, but I gotta hear what's up with this. Oh man, look, can't this talk. Is, this is such an awesome story. So, um, when the Palms first opened the second tower and they had the Moon Night Club, um, they did Mariah Carey's birthday, and I got the DJ for it. So, right before you know she gets there, her manager and security guard walk up, and they're like, "All right." here's the DJ booth and right next to the DJ booth is where they're going to put her. And they're like, no matter what, you cannot look at her and you can't talk to her. And under no circumstances are you to make eye contact with her. And I'm like, all right, whatever. She's like at the table next to me. I probably won't even see her. Right. She's going to be with like 50 people. You know, we'll just give her the mic. She'll say happy birthday or whatever. Mm -hmm. If she wants to, she even have to. So she shows up and like an hour in, the security guard walks up and she's like, hey, Mariah wants to come into the DJ booth. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever she wants. So she had been drinking, I guess, like, she doesn't drink very often, but she had, like, drank, so she was, like, pretty hammered. So she comes up and she sits, like, literally, like, right next to me on the stool. And I'm, like, literally trying not to, like, look at her. I'm trying not to make eye contact with her. I'm trying not to speak with her. Blinders. Right? But she's, like, talking to me. So imagine I'm, like, talking but i have like my head in the other direction and like I, I just don't know what to do and what's funny is this was like years and years and years ago right this is like 12 years ago 
And at the time, I didn't have the like the confidence to just be like, whatever, right? Now, if that happened, I would just be like, yo, she's coming to the DJ booth, like she's fair game, right? Mm-hmm. If she wants to talk to me, like I'm gonna talk to her. But back then, I really was like worried that like, oh my god, someone's gonna see me talking to Mariah Carey, and like I'm gonna get fired, or sh-. and so. For like 20 minutes, we were having these conversations, and she was really drunk, right? So I don't even really even remember what we were talking about, but I think it was just more like music and like how this stuff works or whatever, right? So I don't know. It was just, I wish I had a video of it because it must have looked so ridiculous. Her sitting next to me, and then if you've ever seen Mariah Carey's bodyguard or her old bodyguard, he's like the biggest person I've ever seen in my life. Like this dude is like 6'8, 300 pounds, and wow. he's just like, <laughs> He just looks like a terror. Like he he could he'd eat me. And so I'm even more scared, right? Because I'm afraid this guy's gonna be like, what are you doing? And like, I don't know. The whole thing was just so ridiculous. Um, but then at the end, I finally like looked at her and no one said anything, right? So like the last two minutes I get to like spend like actually looking and talking to her or whatever. Uh, but it was just one of those things where it was just the whole situation was so ridiculous. All right. Let's play another game. If I weren't a DJ, I'd be. Oh, uh, probably like a videographer of some kind. I have super passionate about like photo and video stuff. So uh, if I wasn't a DJ, I'd definitely be doing that or something creative. I'm super <laughs> creative. I can't, I can't stand like, like if I'm not creative, like I'm a terrible at, I'm terrible at doing anything not creative. <laughs> Okay. I could never. I would not be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> and I took accounting one and accounting two. And I'm, I couldn't be one either. So, <clears throat> well, let's talk about that. Um, what uh, What do you use to edit your videos? So I used to use Final Cut, um, and I actually about two years ago switched from Mac to PC, not for DJing, but for for video editing stuff. Um, at that time, I was using Premiere and After Effects and whatnot. Um, and then I recently, last year, I switched over to DaVinci Resolve. Because uh, I was color grading with it, um, it's like a Hollywood level like color grade thing. And then they actually added on the last like two updates ago, they added like video editing into it, and it's really super um, optimized, like Final Cut. So if you ever use Final Cut, Final Cut is super fast, right? Render times, everything's super fast. Um, that's how DaVinci Resolve is for PCs. It's ultra fast, and it's a super cool interface and and so I use that now and it has After Effects built into it. It's a program called Fusion, so it's like kind of like a one stop shop for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I use that to to do my videos, but I still do use After Effects and Premiere Pro um, because that's kind of like the industry standard. So you know, if I'm working with uh, somebody else, I'll use those. Um, and I went to school for them, so I'm like super comfortable with all the programs. Yeah. Um, and what's your go to camera? Um, that's a funny question. Um, Right now, it's the Canon EOS R, the new mirrorless system. But over the last year, I had Sony's. I had the A7S2s, which are great. Then I went to the A7S3s. Then I got rid of those, and I went to the Fuji X-T3s. Got rid of those. I had Panasonic GH5 and GHSs. Um, I tried the Panasonic full-frame cameras, the S1 and S1Rs that came out. Um, but I've settled on... on each time I'd get a new camera system, there was like a specific reason why I wanted to do it. Um, but over the last year, I really like kind of slimmed down like to, I really know exactly what I'm looking for now. Um, and the EOS R just fits the bill 
the most for photo and video. If I was doing just video, I'd probably get like a black magic 4k. Um, but for, because I'm doing photo photo, uh, the Canon EOS R is like, is awesome for doing both. Interesting. Cause I wanted the Sony, uh, a seven three. That's my, that's my $5,000 camera. Yeah. They're incredible. <clears throat> they're incredible cameras. Um, you know, they're especially for doing like if you're doing like nightclubs and you're in low light, like mm -hmm. they're in, the autofocus is incredible. If you want to take pictures, they're incredible picture cameras. Uh, but for me, like having an articulating screen, which if you don't know what that is, that means that the screen like folds out and can face you. Mm -hmm. um, that's a super big deal for me right now. Um, and Canon has by far the best autofocus system for face detection um, for video. Their dual pixel autofocus is Sony is really good and Fuji is really good, but it's, it's just not on par with what you can do with Canon. So that's why I said all that. And you can output, like if I ever need to do a high-end commercial, I can output, um, you know, in like really high codecs to an external recorder. So it still has the option to do like, you know, if somebody hired me to do a commercial, I can do that. Um, but it's the best hybrid system that I found. So in upcoming tech talks or whatnot, this is something that we can kind of expect to hear. Yeah, about I'm actually, I actually <clears throat> haven't sold my Sony or my Fuji systems specifically because we're going to we're going to do a head to head with John Cha the video guy he I still has he uses all Panasonics so here we have GoPros my Canons um Club Killers owns like a different Sony like a A6400 mm -hmm. so we're going to do a head to head comparison best content creation camera and we're going to do every single one of those cameras nice yeah nice. so it'll be super it'll be super good so let's talk about blackout artists for just a moment you were a uh, co-founder? Yes. Yep. And then then what happened? So basically, um, you know, started it, and it was, like, going great. You know, we built up this cool roster. Um, but, you know, I kind of got to this point where I was, like, getting super, super busy um, with, like, my own career and like, other things that were going on. You know, I had opened Feature at this point. And I basically went to Click and was like, I don't want to be in charge of working on other people's careers. I want to work on my career, basically. Um, so at that point, we this guy named Chris had approached us about um, like becoming a partner, and I was like, cool. I was like, I'm going to take a step back. Um, Chris can kind of come in and, and assume my role, um, and it was it was great. Like it worked out perfectly. Um, so, because, you know, like I said, like it was, I really needed to focus on my own career and not spend, and I'll be totally honest, man, being a manager of DJs, it's like a thankless job. It really is. <laughs> I have, I have a lot of respect for people that, that do it because, or they do it well, because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of like, you know, you're dealing with people's lives and it's a lot of pressure, right? Like you don't fill someone's calendar every month, like they're upset, they have kids, they have rent, they have all these things. And whether you, you know, acknowledge that that's your responsibility or not, like these people are depending on you. And it's a, it's a really hard, it's a really hard thing to do, um, you know, to take that pressure. And I just, honestly, I just wasn't, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to just focus on my own, on my own career. And, and, you know, and that was kind of it. And it just, like I said, it worked out perfectly where, where I could take a step back. And then we had somebody that brought more value to it. Than, than I could at the time. Okay. Yeah. So now let's say I come to you and I say, hey, I want to be a blackout artist. Yeah. How do I get in? What's the, what's, the, what's the golden ticket? What's the secret, you know? So it's funny, man. I would probably say that I get this question more, like in like, you know, we're talking about like the mentor role mm -hmm. than any mm -hmm. other question. 
Um, or I say <laughs> more people hit me up on social media asking me about this than anything else. Um, the answer is, is pretty simple. You need to, one, realize, do you really need a manager? Mm. And what is that manager going to do for you? Because people have this, like, weird, like, interpretation that, like, if you have a manager, you're just automatically going to get gigs. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, not the way it works. Like, I took the approach, and this is something that, that like, Vice had told me, like, like 15 years ago when Scan first started. Because I'd asked him, I was like, you know, like, you're, you're Vice. You know, this is, why do you even care? And he's like, because I always want to be the good guy. I don't want to have to go chase after money. I don't want to have to come down on the club for not having, I want to be the guy that shows up and everybody likes and you know, I want to be the good guy. And so for me, that was kind of the approach that I took was like, man, that as, as I started to travel more and had to deal more and more with like these types of situations, I realized how much value that brought to, I do, I just want to show up. I just want to be the face of the party and have a good time and go drink with the owners and never once have to ask, yo, where's my money at or what's going on with this or whatever. That's their responsibility. Um, so, you know, you have to ask yourself, do you need that? Right. Is that important to you? For me, having a manager checked a lot of boxes, right? Because I had other businesses, I had other time constraints. I had, a, I'm starting a family, having somebody that can one, be the bad guy and two kind of take off some of that workload from me, you know, on day to days, that was really important. But if you don't need that, then having a manager isn't just like this go-to thing where you're just going to get gigs. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, and I still, I'm still on the hustle every day going out to get my own gigs. Managers are just there to help me solve my own relationships. And if they have a relationship and they can make an introduction, that's awesome. But ultimately it's up to me or the DJ to go and make that club want to book me or make that company want to book me or whatever. It's not the manager's responsibility. It's my responsibility. They're just there to assist in that. So if that's something that you think you need, then cool. That then the next step would be go to find a management company that, you know, that you like or whatnot. Getting into one is really hard right now mm -hmm. because the DJ game <clears throat> has changed a lot over the last few years. Um, a couple of years ago, all buyers wanted to deal with agents. That's just the way it worked, right? Like you almost had to be part of an agency. Well, over the last couple of years, that's kind of changed, and a lot of clubs now. They don't want to deal with agencies. They don't want to deal with buyers. They want to deal with you directly. They've they've had bad, um, you know, for some reason or another, they've had the agencies have less uh, like a bad taste in their mouth. So, um, you know, you have to really then look at that. Like, do you want to be involved with an agency and what's the value that that, that agency is going to bring to you? And then on the flip side, to get into an agency, you have to at this point, because there's so many DJs out there. You have to bring a ton of value for that agency to be like, yeah, let's do this. Because otherwise, you're just a name on on this agency. But if if you're not bringing any value, then the agency's not going to push you. And the agent's not going to push you. Then you're just doing the same thing you are right now, right? So you know, my advice is always if you've decided that you know this is definitely something that you want to do, how much value can you bring that agency? Because if if your answer is well, you know, I'm a good DJ. Well, that that doesn't mean anything. Um, that's almost like the least important thing. The most important thing is is how marketable are you? What you know are you? Do you have a niche? Is there something that 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 differentiates you between 
the 150 other DJs that are trying to get into this club. Those are all the things that you have to be able to answer before you approach any agent for anything. Because otherwise, literally, like Kalika, the person that owns Blackout, I mean, she gets 20 to 30 emails a week of DJs that are trying to get on the roster. And, I'm, you know, and the, the, the agency community is pretty small and all the agents kind of talk to each other. They're all friends. And they say the same thing. They're like, yeah, like all these people are blanketing, trying to get on with an agency. But at the end of the day, like, like, are they bringing any value? Probably not. They're just another DJ. Um, and so it's, that's really what you need to approach is, you know, how do you make, how are you going to make the agency money and how is the agency going to make you money? And if you can't answer any of those questions, then you're not ready to have an agent. Gotcha. And it's just a frustrating path to walk if you, because <laughs> if you're trying and you can't answer those questions, you're just going to keep getting no's. Right. So, you know, that's the, that's the really, the best thing is you just need to be able to bring tons and tons of value, which in return will get you more bookings. That's a good thing for you to do, you know? Gotcha. All right. So I, I just have this random question and I don't like to ask DJs about money because that's, you know, I think that's something that's personal, but I've always wondered when you have an agency, you know, and you're booked, does the agency pay you directly um, for that booking? Or is that something where, like, they have to wait till the club pays them and then they pay you? Or how does how does that work? So different agencies taking a different approach to this. Um, if a club contacts an agency and let's take, like, Blackout, for instance, like, they, they contact it and Blackout has never had a dealing with this specific club or venue, then in order to even book the DJ, they have to do the deposit, right? Um, and then once you've built like a track record of like paying everybody on time and, and you know, like good events and these kind of things, then, you know, you can get some leeway as far as like if, if you're a promoter and, and you have to wait till the venue get paid, then, you know, they can start working like those kind of deals in place. Um, sometimes like I'll show up and the gig or the venue will, will give me money and then I'll just pay, uh, I'll just give that check to, you know, and or blackout and then they pay me back sometimes i just give them the commission like they'll pay me cash or whatever um but it's typically we don't get paid until the agency gets paid gotcha. so they're not like fronting you know it's a in some in some cases like like i said if it's like a a venue that like we've worked a ton with and for some reason like they didn't get the check out or whatever on that case then sometimes the agency will just like pay you right instead of having to wait for a long time gotcha um but for the most part it's you don't get paid until the agency gets paid Makes sense. yeah okay uh what are some of the pros and cons of having an agency versus not having one so that's a really that's a really good question um i would say that the pros of having an agency are you know it allows you the time to just work on promoting your DJ brand, right? Um, and then having an, an agency, you kind of are, you have a built-in network, right? You have other DJs on the roster. You have, as the, the more time goes on, the bigger the network of clubs the agency deals with, that by default expands your, you know, theoretical network of, of places you can do uh, or people you can talk to. Um, those are some of the big pluses, um, you know, all the menial tasks of like sending invoices, tracking down your money, doing all that kind of stuff. Um, they take care of that at the end of the year for taxes. Um, that's another big thing. I have one, I get one W, you know, 1099 from 
from blackout and just give it to my accountant and it makes it super easy versus having to actually approach it from like a like I do with my other businesses, right? Where it's just a totally different situation. Gotcha. Um, the negatives of having an agency, well, you have to pay commission. And you have to pay commission on everything that you do. So whether it's my contact, you know, blackouts contact, scams contact, wherever, wherever that lead came from, it doesn't matter. You're paying commission on that. So let me make sure I understand this. So you, let's say you get a yourself a gig at, you know, the hookah spot up the street here. Yep. You know, whatever. And they're going to pay you 500. You still have to pay. I'm just using a random 500. But you still have to pay a commission to that, even though you went to the hookah spot. Yeah. Got your own gig. Yeah. The whole nine. Yeah. Okay. So that's a that's that's something that's hard for a lot of like new people or especially people that have like you know one of my friends who's from the east coast is like a pretty big dj out there like he's really big and he was looking at you know signing on to an agency and then at the end he decided not to because he was simply like the return that i'm going to get on having an agency versus the commission that i'm going to make one doesn't outweigh the other so for me it doesn't make sense right so he decided not to go down the path of an agency um, and a lot of people out there do great without an agency. You know, having an agency isn't like, isn't like the only way to be successful. Right. Um, it can be an easier way to be successful, but you know, I always told everybody an agent or an agency is just a tool in your arsenal and how you use that tool is completely up to you. So if you think that having an agency is a great tool to use, by all means, it can be great. Well, now if I was a if I was calling a a, a venue, you know, um, to say, hey, you know, I'm DJ Suave, I like to DJ here, versus, hey, my name is Kelly, and I'm calling from such and such agency on behalf of DJ Suave, who yeah. wants to DJ there. Doesn't one just have a better ring to it than the other? Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes it can, and normally, like you know, the the just hitting people up like randomly is. It's hard for me to speak on because it's not something I've like really done a lot. You know what I mean? Normally, like if I know that there's gonna be like a buyer buyer somewhere, I'll go and I'll introduce myself and we'll hang out all night and we'll build a rapport. And then right. usually my process would be like build a rapport, send them some funny messages on Instagram, get their number. I won't even talk to them about a gig for probably the first month. Gotcha. I'm just befriending them and solidifying that relationship and and sending them funny pictures. And if they have kids, I'm sending them pictures of my kids. If they're into football and it's Monday night football, I'm sending them a like thing like, oh man, your team's gonna get smoked or whatever. <laughs> Just building that rapport of what they're into specifically so that I want them to come to me with like, yo man, we wanna get you out here. Or, or another approach is, you know, once that rapport is built, then I'll go to Kalika or Blackout and be like, hey, me, you know, me, and, me and Joe are super tight now. Let's hit him up about, a date. Um, and then it comes from like a very genuine spot, mm -hmm. right? Because we are legitimately friends. And at this point, like I want to go visit this guy, like, or this girl, like we're friends, like, right. like it's awesome. Like I want to go visit them. They want me to come visit them. We have this good relationship. That's kind of like, you know, but as far as like, you're right, it is. And typically like if you're a buyer or you open a new club, you're really familiar with scam, blackout, rich group, um, you know, uh, white label you're you're familiar with all these different agencies you've probably already reached out on your own about you know send over your roster who you have available your price is blah 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 so that relationship is usually or that like dialogue has already been created on the back end already gotcha. um so that's 
Yeah. To the answer. Now, do do multiple? So here's, I guess, I got two more questions. Then, with <clears throat> how many how many uh, DJs are on the Blackout roster right now? I think there's eight right now. Doesn't that create competition? Um, for you know, the bigger the roster, the yeah, and you know, <clears throat> like two years ago, I think we had a few more guys, and we actually wanted to cut it down. But we had we were adding guys because it was just legitimately like like people would be contacting us in venues and wanting DJs and we just didn't have any. Like everybody was working, right? Um there's a lot more DJs out there now. So, you know, now we're kind of trying to scale that down a little bit just because the competition, there just is way more competition out there. And yeah, there is competition within um within every agency, right? Because at the end of the day, everybody's fighting over the same, um, you know, the same jobs, basically. That's where, like, the niche thing kind of comes in. You know, if you're, like, we have DJ Dynamic, and he's an amazing Latin artist, right? And he, or Latin DJ. And so when people come to us and they want a Latin, it's really easy. You just be like, oh, yeah, he's on, he's doing this party with Ozuna tomorrow. And the immediate credibility, and then, you know, that's his, like, his lane. We have guys that specialize in hip hop. We have guys that, you know, like me, that kind of you could stick anywhere, right? I can, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm the best at any one thing, but I can get the job done in a really well way for everything, right? Um, and that's just, you know, how it is. So you have people that kind of fit within a specific lane, but yeah, there's definitely competition within, and that's good. Competition breeds excellence, you know? Right. Actually, can I add one thing? This is actually to an earlier question. Sure. So when you're talking about the pros and the cons of the agency, I think that a lot of like younger guys, they follow like Diplo and Steve Aoki and Chainsmokers, whatever, and they see them talking about their agents, right? That type of agency or that type of agent is completely different once you get into the realm of where you're selling tickets. Mm. Once you become a ticket selling DJ and you're able to like go to a venue and be like, hey, today I'm going to sell 500 tickets for you those types of agents are completely different. Gotcha. Now you're into like working for like William Morris or Paradigm or these are the guys that represent like your Michael Jacksons, your Bruno Mars, your whatever, right? It's a totally different, it's a totally different thing than when I'm talking about an agency like, like you know, from us to Little John. Gotcha. And then Little John and above is when you get into like the really, really super big agencies and those are completely different. Those are teams of people, like where you're talking about, like, you know, if you look at Diplo, right? Diplo has an agent, mm-hmm. he has a manager, he has a creative director, a social director, gotcha. a, you know, you're talking about 12 or 13 people probably going to make Diplo Diplo. Okay. This is totally different than that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Let's play another game. Yes. Killing this game thing right now. <laughs> Yo, um, who's on your Mount Rushmore of DJs? Ooh, so I would definitely say I'm gonna kind of like like date these, right? Okay. So A Track when he was when he was younger and he was just doing battles and whatnot. I kind of grew up with like him winning like ITFs and and whatnot and like back in the day. And I nothing against A Track now, right. but this is like you know when he was just a battle DJ. It, that's like who I wanted to be. Um, after that, I would say Craze from 97, 98, 99 when he won. I hope those are the, I think those are the right years. Um, when he won the DMC Worlds, like that was just like, 
I don't know, it was like so amazing to, and that was right when I was getting into DJing and then like watching that. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like fucking mind boggling to me. Um, man, um, I would say kind of two that I would put together, like from the new generation would be like Miles Medina and Jay Espinosa. I would kind of count those as one. Um, they've half, really, half face. yeah, half a face. Exactly. <laughs> Um, they've really like taken the, like, you know, like all the tools that millennials possess, social media technology, they've really taken it and they run with it and they are incredibly talented. And I'm so happy to see like the next generation of DJs. Like, I'm so glad that they're spearheading that because I, f I just think that it's amazing what the, what those guys are doing. Um, and then I guess from it's it's I would say AM. Um I had I was really fortunate to work with him for a long time at Pure mm -hmm. and I get to open for him, you know, every Tuesday and and I would by no means say that we were like super good friends or anything, but I did get to know him. Um and I got to live through I was right here when when you know he blew up and I got to see it with my own eyes and watch like I remember I remember when he did his first night at Body English at the Hard Rock, mm -hmm. I was out of town and all my friends were blowing me up the next day. They were like, you would not believe this guy. The shit that he does is unbelievable. And it, at the time, I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's incredible. Right. It's probably he's great. Then I went and I saw it. And I actually went into the DJ booth and I asked him, I'm like, can I, can I, can I just stand back here? I just want to check it out. He was super cool. And it was just like me and one of his manager at the time. And I just stood there and watched him for like two hours. And I had never seen wordplay like that before. And I had never seen a DJ in a nightclub setting that just wasn't playing current music. That was actually going all over the place and getting a reaction from it. I had seen other people do it, but it, was, it wasn't, you didn't get a reaction from it. It was almost like, kind of like not cool right mm -hmm. and then he came on and he was doing crazy scratch routines and wordplay routines and he was covering 50 different genres of music and he would straight up look at you and be like you know what i feel like this crowd needs to get a little more aggressive and then he would do like some like crazy rock shit or play like rage or whatever and i'm like you're <clears throat> playing fucking rage against the machine in a nightclub to me it was like i couldn't even believe what he was doing um and then the way that he delivered it was just it was so cool and it was such it was it was like such a mind-blowing experience for me at the time um so i would definitely put him on that list for sure because he was he had such an important like part in just the development of like nightclub djs as a whole like i it's pretty amazing what he did nice nice there you have it folks all right I want to ask you, um, because you do travel and I travel a lot, I always like to ask people, you know, some good travel tips. Oh, yeah. Um, I gave um, my, I guess, my number one travel tip recently that sparked controversy. Um, I told everybody to start carrying a modium AD. <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, <laughs> actually, I was here and I told the bill and that's where it all started. And uh, we literally had this whole 10 minute talk about not taking a shit somewhere. Um, so what is that one travel tip, man? That that's a shitty travel tip. 
<laughs> What's the one travel tip, man, that you just, you know, everybody needs to know? So I would say right now, recently, like, actually just, just sat down and did the math on this. I got this bag, and the bag is like a roller bag, but then it turns into a backpack. And so when I book my flights, like, I say no bag selected, right? It's just my carry-on. And I carry my, like, two computers, everything on this one bag. And, I, like, I did the math. It's going to save me, like, $1,100 this year. Holy shit. In, like, because, you know, 30 to $80 to add a bag on to every flight. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, like, I did it for the whole year. It's, a, it's like, a little over 1000 bucks for me. I would say anything like that is a great travel tip. There's so much stuff out there that lets you, like, trick airlines into doing different things. Yeah. Um, and then another great one is if you can, those points credit cards are incredible. Like I have a chase card that has Southwest. I use, I literally buy everything on it in the month. I just, you know, pay it off. Like I keep track of it. Like you normally would your bank account. And then I get like two to one points and, and I'm roughly getting about $2,000 in flights a year from, from it. So like anything like that, that you can do, is crazy. Like they work so well and they give you so many like advantages. And when I first started, I didn't even have any credit like at all. I bought, um, you know, I got one where I think I sent them like 500 bucks and they sent me a card back. It was, I can't remember what they're called. Secure uh, credit secure card. card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a secured credit card and then that worked itself into like a non-secured and whatnot. Um, but stuff like that. And then I think like my third tip would be when you're planning a trip, it's really, really important to add in the cost of like Ubers and all these things because I talked to a lot of DJs and they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going to go, I'm going to go travel. I got this gig and like, they're paying me, you know, it's like a thousand bucks landed or whatever. And I did the math on it and I can get this flight and this, whatever. And I'm like, but have you added, have you added in the, like, you know, for instance, like if you play in San Francisco, Ooh. you got an Uber from SF to the city, that's 50 bucks each way if it's peak time, it's 60 to 80 bucks each way. You can almost spend them much as much on Uber as your flight was. Right. Um, so just, you really need to make sure you add in all those kind of costs because otherwise like you'll get your check and you go to like do the math and you're like, Oh man, I could have just, I could just stayed at home and worked at a restaurant, <laughs> you know, um, it made more money. So like those kind of things are, are, I think like super important. Nice. All right. <clears throat> What advice, and this is actually a really appropriate question uh, because you you said you do some mentoring. What advice would you have for young DJs getting into the game, or you know, uh, I'd say one to well, I'm in that I'm in my fourth year, so I'll say one to one to four, one to five years in. What advice do you have for us? Um, I think that right now where the DJ game's at is, I think that a lot of the biggest mistake that I see with younger DJs is that they have like these completely unrealistic expectations of what the DJ world is and what they can expect from it, right? Like they think that they're good DJs and that's enough for them to go out and like headline EDC. But they don't understand that like all the steps that go into even being booked at a festival or being booked at like a main club or, um, you know, those kind of things. So you really need to just like have realistic expectations and then set realistic goals, right? Um, and then, you know, one thing that I always try to harp on with younger DJs, and I very few of them take this to heart, but is that you need to operate your DJ career like you would any other business. This is a business. This is a career. 
and you need to operate it as such and look at it like, you know, if you go to take a business class, they're going to talk to you about marketing, marketing budgets, um, you know, where are you getting your clients from? How are you maintaining those client relationships? How are you, um, you know, how are you reaching new clients? Do you do, are you giving people that are potential buyers the easiest route and the best user experience with your brand? Right. So if you're not part of your agency and they want to book you, what does that process look like? Do they go to your website? Does your website have direct links to your EPKs? Does your website even have a website? If you don't, do you have a Dropbox with your links? Like these are all things that go a long way to clubs booking you and rebooking you. And the nightclub market is really small. So if you develop, you know, a good user experience for these clubs, people hear about it. And it's one of the main things that has like been helped me succeed is that it's, it's, you know, I make it really super, super easy every step of the way. It's easy to get my EPKs. It's easy to get my contracts. I'm super flexible. I'm not a diva. If something's wrong with the club, I'm not like throwing a fit. I'm the first one to try to help the club out. Right. Um, you need to just take all that stuff into account because it's really, really important. And like I said, if you take a business class, this is all stuff that's just business 101. But a lot of younger DJs don't approach it that way. And it actually, you know, a lot of nightclubs are, are corporations and they, they have this approach. Like, and this is what they want to see. So I feel like that's like super important. All right, y'all. There we have it. Um, that's it for this episode on the Stupid Swap. I want to thank my guest DJ Icon, giving us a whole lot of knowledge. <laughs> a whole lot. Uh, I hope y'all had your pens and papers on. Took notes. If not, rewind and listen again. Um, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you coming out. Ah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. this. Was super fun. Nice, ladies and gentlemen, DJ Icon. Peace. That's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. To see the full video interview, go to youtube.com slash DJ Suave. Make sure you subscribe and rate this episode and share with your friends. See you next week on The Stoop with Suave.